I have probably seen this movie over a hundred times in my life. This movie is me. I don't think I exist as who I am today without this movie. This movie. This movie. I'm so happy I came back for this. <laughs> Here is the spider cast. Hi, welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. I'm your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have. Give him some room to breathe. I'm Austin Sweebelman. Brain Conversi. I'm Tim M. Sold. And coming back for the first time in a few months, it's the return of the king, the god, the king. It's me. I'm back. Hi, I'm Joseph Rennick, and oh, no band-aids. Whoa! You fucking did it! And if you couldn't tell by my uh, interpretive dance routine, we are talking about arguably the Marvel movie that truly started it all. Not Iron Man, I'm talking about the movie that paved the path. Sam Raimi's 2002 masterpiece, Spider-Man. I feel very safe in saying all of us here grew up with this movie in some way. I know some of us are closer to old age, 30, than there are others, but even you older people were like, what, 10 at most when this movie came out? I was like six. I was eight. Yeah, I was eight when it came out. Probably like five, I don't know. I was four. So since I feel we all grew up with this, I just want you to share a favorite Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie memory to start. What did Raimi Spider-Man need to you like as a cultural force? Austin, I want to start with you. My favorite Sam Raimi Spider-Man memory is still seeing Spider-Man 2 in the theater for my 10th birthday party with my friends. It was rare for me as a kid to actually get to see a movie with my friends instead of just my parents. But there were like a few times when it felt like stars collided and we walked in on like a masterpiece we all got to share together, like The Dark Knight, Scott Pilgrim, Social Network, and Spider-Man 2. As a cultural force, I I think Spider-Man may actually be the most popular and lovable superhero to ever lend himself to film. It always seemed to me that like Superman and Batman would be the most popular superheroes for my entire life. And both of them have had their hands in, like, elevating the superhero genre in the decades before Spider-Man came out. But Spider-Man pulled box office figures that were consistently unreal. Like, a lot of people bring up Bryan Singer's original X-Men film as another potential start of the modern-day superhero blockbuster, but get this. The highest-grossing X-Men film from that original trilogy did not do as well on the box office charts as the lowest-grossing Spider-Man Unlike Spider-Man or Batman, Spider-Man's a fucking nobody, okay? He's a kid from a public school with a working-class background. 
In the Raimi films, he's played by this soft-spoken dork. His alter ego is just some normal guy from New York who's, like, trying to stop crime and protect the people he loves. I think Spider-Man for a long time played, like, the best into the fantasy of, like, a relatable person who suddenly gets superpowers. And there's also the psychological thing where, like, you know, the suit covers the whole body, so it could be anybody under there. That's my two cents. All right, Ryan, time to put you on the spot. So my favorite, yeah, it's not, it doesn't have to do with any my, my experiences watching the movies. It doesn't have to do with me, like, running around in the costume as a kid. But it's, in fact, while the first movie was coming out, I was about five, and I distinctly remember a television commercial. It was like a cereal commercial where it's like, oh, get the Spider-Man web shooter with this box of cereal. It's like a little water sporter. And then in the commercial, it would show, like, a kid. At the end, it was, like, him hanging off from the ceiling with it. I was like, and my five-year-old brain is like, okay, if I get that thing, if I get the cereal to box toy, then I get to to climb to the ceilings, I'll become Spider-Man. All right. And then I was really like, oh, I gotta get it, I gotta get it. And then, you know, my mom, eventually, she, she gave it to me this one day. I got it. And one of the biggest disappointments ever was when um, it's just, oh, wait, it's just a fucking water squirt. It's not doing anything. I think my parents might still have that water squirter, because I, I know we gotta get it to rain. We gotta get that. We got to get the 2003 whole cans to rain. We just yeah. need to make them happy again. All right, Joe V, I really want to hear from you, because I, I imagine you got some happy memories for us, right? I, I do have some happy memories. This was a really significant movie from my childhood because this might have been like the most anticipated movie for me like ever when I was a kid because growing up there was like two superheroes outside of Spider-Man for me, but Spider-Man was the big one for me. I'm not counting the X-Men because they're kind of a group. I, I remember being a kid who loved the 60s cartoon and the 90s cartoon. I grew up with those. I don't remember the movie. It might have been the re-release of Spy Kids that my dad took me to see. One of the few memories good that I have with my dad. I remember very vividly that first fucking teaser trailer for this movie. I had no idea it was coming, but they had like that really exciting like techno Matrix-esque music. I, mean, I think it was actually on the Matrix soundtrack. And it's like, it's blaring and then all of a sudden cuts to fucking Spider-Man. Like, you see the mask, shoots the web, and then my eyes just kind of like lit up. Like, they are making a Spider-Man movie. This is easily one of the most exciting things ever. I loved it. We saw it opening weekend jam-packed theater like it was like people were sitting in like the aisles like that that's how major this movie was and just like outside of that just like small little things like i had the ps2 game but like that was based on the movie i had one of the lego sets i think that the lego set that i had was of the robber him chasing the robber in the wrestling suit there's there's a lot of fun significant memories of that movie with me but that, that's that's just a small little taste of it so back to you tanner all right, Tim, as the uh, elder statesman of the group, what's your favorite, like, Sam Raimi Spider-Man memory? And uh, what, what do you, like, remember of as, like, this cultural force? As someone who is the uncle of nine children, I've noticed that, like, a lot of kids these days, like, they, they have their cartoon versions of the superheroes, but they're very, very aware of, like, the MCU. Like, that's, that's like, they want to watch the MCU movies, but their parents are like, no, it's PG-13, can't watch that. So they get the cartoon version, but they are aware of this bigger version, the big, big theatrical thing, 
which uh, we didn't quite have that in the 90s, 2000s. Like, there were some superhero movies back then. Like, there was the Burton and Schumacher Batman movies. There was the X-Men movies and uh, Blade. So that was when it really started to pick up speed. And then Spider-Man was the movie that, like, even escalated it a step further. Like, I remember watching episodes here and there of the... Spider-Man and X-Men cartoons on Fox Kids. Well, I was excited to see like movie versions of them. Uh, I was like eight when that movie was getting announced and uh, it was PG-13. So my parents were like, we're, we're not going to let you go see this just yet. Um, but then I, I read the novelization of it before <laughs> I got to see the movie. So I was like pretty much aware of the plot, plus like a bunch of like weird extra stuff that they crammed in there for some reason. Sometimes those are deleted scenes. They get an earlier draft of the script to write the novelization on. And, and then my oldest brother got it on DVD. And like, I remember, I think, watching it with uh, some friends of mine at a sleepover that we had at my house. I got to see two and three both in the theaters, so I, I didn't live to regret that. It's definitely a movie that's had an impact in my life, even as uh, the quote-unquote Marvel cynic of the Bomb Squad. So, uh, it's funny because I'm the one who hosts the podcast. I'm the one who wrote the question. I don't really have a specific Sam Raimi Spider-Man memory because for as long as I can remember, Sam Raimi Spider-Man has been a cultural force in my life. I don't remember a time before Spider-Man. Many, many podcasts ago, it's been a long time since I've referenced this, I have said that SpongeBob is my God, Shrek is my Jesus Christ, and Vin Diesel is my Holy Spirit. Just now, I was thinking, I don't think that's entirely accurate. I'm going to take Vin Diesel out of there, and I'm going to slide Shrek on over, because I think the true configuration of my Holy Trinity is SpongeBob is my God, Shrek is the Holy Spirit, and Spider-Man died for my sins. D does that make Vin Diesel Judas now? Uh, honestly, <laughs> after he got Justin Lin kicked off, yeah, he is my fucking Judas. Come on, Vin. What the hell? I wanted to be Spider-Man when I grew up as a kid. I wanted to be a superhero, and it's because of this movie. I have probably seen this movie over 100 times in my life. This movie is me. I don't think I exist as who I am today without this movie. The way, like, Fortnite probably feels to kids now is what Sam Raimi Spider-Man felt to me as a kid. Like, it was all-encompassing. It was everywhere. It was the thing. But how do we feel about the it thing that started it all, the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man? What do we think about it overall? Tim, I think we're going to start with you on this one. So, the other day, uh, I came home from work, and I was uh, just getting off an exhausting long shift. And then I opened my door, and Tanner's sitting on my couch with a gun. And what he says, fuck? all right, Tim, we did your anime month, and now it's time for you to be on two of these Marvel podcasts. <laughs> he pulls out his VHS tape of Spider-Man and says, all right, now put it in the VCR. And I go, Tanner, that's a toaster. And he <laughs> says, I'm, I'm not taking any questions. Uh, <laughs> I rewatched it uh, yesterday, and I had actually rewatched the trilogy a couple months ago leading up to the Evil Dead podcast to just kind of see how... Sam Raimi's style kind of uh, bled into those. Again, I had a good time with it. Uh, it's a, a, just an always fun movie to watch. There's some parts of it that, like, it, it definitely feels like a, a relic of its time in some ways. Like, there's there's some dialogue that hasn't aged gay super joke. well. The gay <laughs> joke. Yeah, yeah. The... You're talking about the gay uh, joke. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. 
That's a cute outfit. Did your husband give it to you? I like that joke. You're not, you don't count. You have a husband. <laughs> I like that Only joke. Only us straights are allowed to critique gay jokes. Yeah, exactly. But you're not straight, Tanner. <laughs> don't worry about it. Warts and all. It's it's a really fun movie to watch. It's got uh, some great fights. It's got Willem Dafoe is in it, and Willem Dafoe is great in everything. As I always say, uh, give that man a shitty script. He will still give you an incredible performance. Just watch Death Note. Yeah, it's just overall real, real, real good time. All right. Uh, that's all stuff. I agree with Willem Dafoe. He's amazing and everything. Rain. Uh, first off, can we see the shirt again? Of course. I was like, Tanner's not the only one who stands up in the middle of, of the podcast. Yes! It's so good. There we all love it. Is. Oh, God, yeah. he looks great. He's fucking ripped, ladies, and he's single. What one year in L.A. does to a motherfucker? Anyway, then I was talking about the movie. It's uh, I, I am very curious, like what, what, like what a child like today would think of the movie. I showed it to my sister back in December, and she said I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun of it. I don't think I like it as much as you, simply because it is not the Spider-Man I grew up with. She was mm-hmm. 13 when she said that. She is so smart. I would imagine that's kind of representative of if most kids like they would be able to enjoy it because it's a very well constructed movie. But I, it is something where it's like just like how much heart it's on its sleeve. Like it's the sort of thing where like as much as I like it's something that really uh, keeps me really enjoying this movie. You know, outside of just any sort of nostalgia is just like how like goofy it is just like completely like unironically be it with all the spectators, be it with the camera work, be it with just Not a the- lot of. Grant, the last couple of MCU movies, I feel like, have been less... Um, they've been getting a little better about that. Like They're getting better about it. They're getting they more are. back to their phase one way of doing it. Yeah, where it's not... Um, yeah, this shit's fucking stupid. <laughs> honestly, I, the thing I really hate about that constant lampshading, I realize it just reminds me of, like, me as a teenager, how I would, like... It, how I would handle stuff like that. It's like, oh, I'm just going to... You're constantly just laughing. I like it ironically. It. It's just like, it feels like a giant, like, oh, no one can make fun of me for enjoying this if I'm being ironic 24-7, which is why I'm sort of, like, sometimes... Why, why I have, like, the opposite extreme, why I really like these movies. Uh, man, Tony Wire, he's he's a good actor. He should be in more... I mean, I, <laughs> from what I understand, like, he just doesn't want to be... Catch in him in December things. as Charlie Chaplin in Damien Giselle's Babylon. Oh, yeah. Hey, that would be cool. From what I understand, he just wants to mostly produce now. From what I understand, he wants to play poker. <laughs> it's a good time. Movie good. Well, Joe, since you decided to drink coffee, it's your turn. <laughs> what do you think of Sam Raimi's 2002 motion picture, Spider-Man? For starters, this is actually really shitty coffee. Um, but You made it! I know I did, and it's really <laughs> shitty coffee. My brother in Christ, you made the coffee. <laughs> I, I, I can critique it, because I made it, damn it. Um, anyway, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I said this in a letterbox review almost two years ago now, when I rewatched some of Sam Raimi's movies. Um, for me, that first Spider-Man movie is up there with Richard Donner's Superman as the near-perfect origin movie. That being said, I I still think Superman the movie is the better movie of the two. That being said, man oh man, the technical craft that Sam Raimi just brings to this movie is on another level. If there's any like thing that I could complain about this movie, sure, some of the CGI effects look a little wonky, but looks better than Black Panther. <laughs> 
as, as far as acting goes, it's like the only person I can complain about is James Franco and not just because he's a piece of shit. He actually doesn't really work that well in this movie. He's just not it, given anything to do. I talked to Austin about this today. He's just a dick. So I do really like the the scene where he's like, he's talking to Mary Jane. He's like, oh, well, here, what can I buy? I'll buy you this. I'll buy you that. Like, I will throw money at you to fix the problem. It's reflective in scary. I think he performs that scene well, but yeah, otherwise he just doesn't really it's have like, much. Just, yeah. Just cut to him saying, one day Spider-Man will pay. Yeah. Where he's like trying yeah. to say like Ditko-esque dialogue and it just does not work. One day Spider-Man will pay. He gets better as it edit as the movies go on. But yeah, he, he does. Going. He does get better as the series go goes on, but he's particularly not really good in this. Yeah. O- outside of that, though, my my God, this movie is just so much fun. And I, I think people have kind of pushed this one to the side it, as the years have gone on. Because, I mean, well, to be quite honest, Spider-Man 2 is the better movie. Spider-Man 2 is far and away the better movie. That being said, it's like there's a lot of stuff in this that people just tend to overlook from just how classic this fucking movie feels like. I've heard people compare like some of the dialogue in this to like a Frank Capra kind of thing, but done in a modern setting. It definitely feels like that at times, especially in the romance, which speaking of, I actually really like the romance in this between... Yes. MJ and Peter overhated. Yes, it's over. Yes. It's overhated. Yes. It's it's a that, it's a very cute romance. That kiss was iconic as fuck. Speaking of things that are just overlooked, I think Kirsten Dunst is overlooked in this movie. Yep, I think everybody shits on this character for no reason. Yes, yes. yes. I was watching it today, and I really. Holy shit, she's almost acting circles around almost everyone else in the movie. She is so good in it. Kirsten Dunst is acting circles around pretty much everyone, except for maybe Willem Dafoe, because, I mean, it's Willem Dafoe. That's hard. Um, Her character work especially gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I get it. She needs to be saved a lot. And it gets kind of tired once you get to Spider-Man 3. Like, really? We're fucking doing this again? But I think she has a very dynamic character in this like very specifically, man, th- this movie's just fun. It- it's so much fun, and it—it's a nice little time capsule of the early two thousands and what superhero movies weren't yet. Like th- this was a- an exciting chapter in the beginning of superhero movies as they would come to be. All right, Austin. Uh, I don't think I've ever really heard you talk about this movie except for the me sending you its praises and text and you being like, "Yes, I agree." Uh, so just kind of, what do you think of Sam Raimi's Spider Man? Well, this time around, I was fortunate enough to get to watch the open mat cut of Spider-Man 1, thanks to an anonymous donor, friend of the podcast, Ram Samey. Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> so you can see sort of what was above and below the, the letterboxing that projectionists put up back in the day. Cool stuff like marks that the actors are supposed to hit, lights in the background, microphones dipping down, and a lot of mat boxes. It really humanizes the film, and in some cases makes it look like A24's Spider-Man, which is cool. <laughs> now, now, I totally forgot a scene, guys. The scene where uh, Quest Aerospace yes. is testing out the exoskeleton, uh, my brain just 100% deleted that file from my mind. So it was like I, there was this part of the movie that I got to watch for the first time again. And man, when the goblin just like fucking flies in and blows everybody away, I got like a little taste of how hard the unbridled craziness must have hit people back in 2002. And the transition, 
Oh, with the, with the hat? That is so incredible! <laughs> that, that's one of the most dreamy things about the movie. It's amazing. <laughs> it was midnight, and I was laughing and hollering like I had won the fucking lottery when I saw that. You're like, he did it, those crazy sons of bitches did You went full Goldblum in Jurassic Park. I, I think that, like, the pacing in this movie is often really snappy, too. Like, around the time that there was the Macho Man Randy Savage scene, I was so impressed by how quickly they were getting through the plot beats. And one thing about this movie is how stock some of the lines sound. Like, my baby! That's my son! Look over there, it's Spider-Man! Like, real NPC <laughs> in a video game ass energy. And it really worked because the movie's not supposed to make New York City complicated. There were a couple scenes between Kirsten Dunst and Toby that really stuck out as the only things for me that made the movie feel awkward. I, I get it. This movie won MTV Movie Awards Best Kiss in 2003. 2003 MTV Movie Award Best Kiss winner! That scene of MJ and Peter talking in the hospital was fucking brutal on me last night. No idea why. Conversely, that scene at the end where MJ tells Peter that she hoped she lived through the goblin attacks just so she could see his face one more time, that rang my bell. That made me feel good. It's such a sincere, normal-ass blockbuster. Like, I think 9-11 colored a lot of superhero movies and gave them this dimension of complexity that sometimes worked and sometimes doesn't. But the Spider-Man trilogy is just this series of, like, trolley dilemmas and these acrobatic showdowns in an alternate universe where New Yorkers are lovable. Spider-Man 1 may still be the best superhero origin film ever made. It's like a bunch of tropes and archetypes thrown into a boggle shaker, but it's perfectly crafted and deserves the recognition all these years later. So I'm uh, welcome to the first annual edition of uh, Tanner's Thinking Corner because I am going to analyze this movie through a class perspective because oh, this yeah. is what I was thinking about when I was watching the movie today. Because here's the thing, I told Austin this, the thing I love about Spider-Man is he is truly the working class man superhero. He is a working class hero that comes from a working class family that is inherent to his DNA. I like the John Watts MCU Spider-Man movies, but I feel like a lot of it's working class is, is aesthetic only, and there's never really anything there. With Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, it is there 100%. And I think this movie especially can be analyzed from a class perspective because look at his villain, the Green Goblin, a rich industrialist who has military contracts. I think there's an interesting thing about class being said here that I'm not smart enough to express eloquently, but if I had Austin's superpowers to make everything about the Iraq war, I probably could <laughs> express it intelligently. You fucker. Um, so you could even argue that Jameson even plays into that argument as a villain, as a big old capitalist pig. He's a boss. But at the same time, he's a good boss because he stands up for his employees even when he's being choked by a crazy man in a green goblin costume. Such a good this scene. is true. Such a good I scene. I love that scene so much. Truly, what it is, is class is that it's DNA. And I think this is also accentuated by the fact that out of all of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, this feels the most New York to me. There's that whole montage scene where Lucy Lawless makes a cameo where they're just going through mm -hmm. all these random New Yorkers talking about what do they think of Spider-Man. He stinks and I don't like him. And Lucy does. Gavit hands. And of course, there's that scene, which I swear to God had to have been added after 9-11 happened because it almost, oh, yeah. it, it's a little bit of an awkward fit, but I kind of love it anyway, where all the New Yorkers are just throwing garbage at the goblin and he's like, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And that's such a New York working class thing. 
If there's one thing that 9-11 did for the city of New York, at least very briefly, it made all of its working class feel very united in a common thing. And I think Sam Raimi's Spider-Man taps into that a lot. I think what this movie ultimately is, it's about a man who rises above those who would oppress the working class to become a champion for the working class. To me, I, I feel like even though these movies may be actually the least comic accurate in terms of actual one-to-one -one translation, but in terms of capturing the spirit of what Spider-Man is, which is a hero for the working class, by the working class, it's beautiful and I think it captures that spirit well. And I think what really matters is Sam Raimi said this in an interview recently, he didn't want to wink at the audience with this one. He wanted to make this earnest and sincere and unironic and I think it pays off in dividends. And one last thing about the working class thing, this one Spider-Man movie has the most emphasis on his parents. Not his parents' parents, like the fucking amazing Spider-Man yeah. untold story bullshit. Uncle Ben and Aunt May. I think Uncle Ben has uh, earned a little bit of this. <clears throat> Dads! Rock! Baby! That's right, Uncle Ben is a father who rocks. The words with great power. Oh my god. Ding, ding, ding! We got one! <laughs> gonna drink some shitty coffee. I think that's 20. With great power comes great responsibility. I hold in my heart dearly, and Uncle Ben delivers them perfectly. But what's our favorite scene, and uh, maybe what we think about what Sam Raimi adds to the movie? Find out after this brief commercial break from PragerU. Maybe it's not PragerU, I don't know. Let's hope with your own Spider-Man water squirter. Once free in specially marked Kellogg's packs. Welcome back from commercial break and welcome back to the Bomb Squad Spider-Cast. We're gonna just get right into this. What is our favorite scene in the movie? We're gonna start with me. So Joe Vrennick can't steal my answer. Man, I was gonna steal it. I wanna steal it. Yeah, I know. I think we're all gonna say the same thing. So I wanna go first. My favorite scene in this movie is probably the most iconic scene in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy in general, which is dark alleyway, rain, MJ's being attacked by a group of muggers, Spider-Man, which by the way, man, when movies used to be dark, you could still see them. Remember that? That was I nice. I miss it. I miss when movies were shot on film. When Spider-Man beats up all the muggers that are attacking Mary Jane, and I think the most iconic shot of the entire franchise happens. Spider-Man hanging upside down from a web, Mary Jane removes his mask, and they kiss. It is heart-wrenchingly romantic. The action scene in it is really nice. It's beautifully shot. Everything that makes this movie great is on display here. Why am I crying? Why am I crying? Two! We got two! Spider-Man 2, bitch! Why am I crying? I just really love that scene, man. You ain't shit. The Upside Down Kiss is the most iconic scene in the entire trilogy and the entire franchise and arguably maybe even the most iconic scene in any superhero movie. Maybe only rivaled by... I hope this doesn't put you off from flying. Statistically, it's the safest way to travel. Uh, Joe V, since I stole your thunder, I'm sorry, but you can say anything that I didn't add. Yeah, no, my, my pick is the upside down kiss, because, well, for starters, that whole fucking scene, MJ's just a long fucking list of characters from my childhood, and she's the fucking reason why I have a thing for redheads. Basically an iconic scene that just fucking comes on, 
and just announces itself as an iconic scene. That scene is so goddamn great that it's also the best fucking part of the best fucking episode of the hit television show, The O.C., motherfuckers! Yeah, I fucking did it! I did that on my comeback episode! I brought back The O.C. I can't work in these conditions! (laughs) The Rainy Day Women, best episode of The O.C., ends on a recreation of the Upside Down Kiss from Spider-Man. Easily the best moment of the show. Easily the best moment of the first Spider-Man. Back to you, Tanner. Rain, was yours going to be the Upside Down Kiss too? On top of everything else everyone else said about that scene, I I would say, like, while there might be, like, a movie kisses that, like, throughout the course of the film felt more earned because, you know, character arcs. Um, but I would say, like, on a purely visual level, it has to be, like, the most iconic kiss ever, right? I think it is. I yeah. think it is. I can, like, When I think of movie kiss, I think of upside yeah. down kiss. Yeah, no. Um, I like the punch drunk love kiss. That's my favorite kiss. That would be my actual number one, but I will say my runner up will be, as I alluded to earlier, the um, scene where uh, the Green Goblin attacks J. Joe and Jameson. I think it's just, like, a great, like, little bit of character writing how this character you know is just such a smug asshole piece of like just you know love to hate him asshole boss we've all had and then just like so like quickly we're able to like give him so so much depth like depth out of nowhere it's like when he like he's willing to like just sacrifice himself not give it up there's like so many things that like it could be a result of maybe he like secretly cares for parker maybe it's just out of um just like out like loyalty it could be a million things and each thing it could possibly just like makes his character all the more interesting the fact that we just don't know it's just nice, simple character writing. Very great. And can we mention J.K. Simmons' best casting in the movie yes. other than Willem Dafoe? We will talk about that in Trivia Corner. So, cool. Tim, go ahead. Yeah, so I have another scene that I was uh, planning to talk about, which is uh, that first scene where, like, uh, the Green Goblin comes in during the parade. Uh, that that fight scene, I think, is just really great. Uh, it's such a great introduction to him as a villain. Um, Rain, yes. I met Macy Gray who is the lady singing in the train. <laughs> yes. Why does Rain keep meeting celebrities and then not telling us about it? He told us he met Madonna like three weeks after it happened. Anyway, continue. Uh, but yeah, yeah that, that's just a really fun set piece. Uh, just a lot of great stuff going on, a lot of great fights. The bit where uh, he throws the grenade and it just vaporizes <laughs> the guys. So good. Like that, that, I remember watching as a kid and being like, whoa, holy shit. Like that, I had never that seen anything like that Sam before. That is some Sam Raimi ass shit, man. That's, yeah, that's yeah. evil dead I, shit right there. Yeah, I had never seen anything like that before in my life. And like, you look at it now, and the CGI hasn't aged super well. But back in 2002, that was some just state of the art shit. Like that looked incredible. It was crazy. There's there's a lot of great combat between Spider-Man and Green Goblin in that scene. Impressive! A lot of great, uh, like, aerial combat and there's the damsel in distress stuff going on, but, like, I think it's done in a way that's, like, really interesting and fun. Uh, just overall, great scene. Austin, on to you! Uh, my favorite scenes are the sort of B-horror movie-inspired moments that largely went missing as superhero movies got more corporate. Stuff like the Green Goblin pretending to be an old woman roaming around in a fire <laughs> just to jump-scare Spider-Man. Or uh, the Goblin blowing up the side of Aunt May's house because she slapped his hand away from the sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving. And then yelling at Finish her- Finish it! And then yelling at her to finish Matthew 6.13 before she passes out from being too scared. How can I forget about that scene? That's so good. It's so good. That's my actual answer. I I love it. I love how this movie's so grounded just so it can blow your mind when things get really out of control. 
All right, yeah, no, all that stuff is great. Okay, this is gonna be a fun one because this movie turns 20 years old and we got a lot of shit to talk about. So who's ready for So there's a lot of stuff here. For example, this was gonna be the start of a Marvel shared universe as Hugh Jackman was supposed to have a cameo as Wolverine in the movie. He even showed up to New York to film it. Uh, the entire plan was scrapped because the crew couldn't get access to his costume. <laughs> Oof. You could just be Logan. <laughs> just give him a wife beater and jeans. That is more of a co- iconic Logan look than whatever the, the yeah. leather, whatever yeah. that is. When Peter Parker is testing out his webbing for the first time and he says things like, up, up, and away web, Superman, Shazam, Captain Marvel. Fun fact, Tobey Maguire ad-libbed them. They weren't in the script. When Jameson's subordinates are trying to tell him about Spider-Man, one of them says Eddie's been trying to get a picture of him for weeks. This is, of course, a reference to Eddie Brock, but what you guys may not know, they filmed a scene with an actor playing Eddie Brock. This actor, he was even told by Sam Raimi, we'll have big plans for this character, which sort of contradicts the whole thing with Spider-Man 3 about how Raimi didn't even know who Venom was if there was supposed to be seeds planted in the first one. But who cares? We have set photos. We can prove it happened. It was Will Smith. There was a camera system called the Spider-Cam that was literally invented to express more of Spider-Man's world and point of view. It was able to drop 50 stories and was shot lengths of just over 2,400 feet or 3,200 feet and could shoot at six frames per second for a convey a sense of speed. This was like a super elaborate, incredibly advanced camera system for the time. It was only used in this film for the final sequence, but it was used more in the sequels. So in this movie, if you notice when Uncle Ben describes his age, he says he's 68 years old. Cliff Robertson was 75 at the time of filming. However, makeup artists still needed to use makeup to make him look older. He was seven (laughs) years older than his listed age, but he still needed to look older. Baby, that's Hollywood right there. So, who's ready for some alternate castings? Who was almost J. Jonah Jameson? You guys ready for this? Who? Arlie Ermey. <laughs> Hugh Laurie. Harvey okay. Fresnel. Dennis Feriana. Michael Keaton auditioned for the part. Fred Ward. And this isn't the only part he almost got in this movie. Bill Paxton. However, my favorite alternate casting for this movie, and this actor actually unironically auditioned for the part, was none other than the man himself, Stan Lee, actually auditioned to play J. Jonah Jameson in this movie, and he didn't get the part. Who is Spider-Man? He's a criminal, that's who he is. A vigilante, public menace. Back to Cliff Robertson, AKA Uncle Ben, this was his first film for Columbia Pictures in 25 years. Do you guys want to know why it was his first film in 25 years? Because the studio blacklisted him in 1977 when he discovered that his own signature had been forged on a check written by a studio executive, which he then discovered was used to embezzle money from the studio. Columbia Uh. wanted to sweep the scandal under the rug, but Robertson spoke publicly about it. That is fucking hilarious. Imagine being like, hey, you know the guy that won an Oscar for playing dumb guy gone smart? Let's use him to embezzle. Just incredible work. Here are some guys that were almost Spider-Man. This actor campaigned for the part when James Cameron was attached, Charlie Sheen. I just want you to imagine Charlie Sheen Spider-Man for a moment, please. (laughs) Just picture that in your mind. Isn't it horrifying? Ben (laughs) Spider-Man. Um, duh, swinging. Leonardo DiCaprio was obviously James Cameron's first choice when it was in there, but here are some other ones that uh, either read or were close to getting the part. Freddie Prince Jr., Scott Speedman, Jay Roden, James Franco. Heath Ledger was offered, but he turned it down. Michael Jackson wanted to play Spider-Man. Yeah. Stan Lee thought John Cusack would be great in the part. Wes Bentley was the fan favorite. Both Frankie Muniz and Topher Grace Red 
The studio wanted Jude Law and Josh Hartnett turned it down. I think we ultimately got the best pick out of all of these. However, I do desperately want to live in an alternate universe where it's Charlie Sheen. I want to know Frankie Muniz. He was like a kid at that point. What the hell? Yeah, he, he was still in Malcolm in the Middle, like early seasons. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they, it was a very different version of the movie. Um, here were some actors that were almost MJ. Uh, Alicia Witt, Meta Savari, Eliza Dushku, whose uh, read is actually on the DVD special features, Kate Hudson, and Tara Reid. Fun fact, the guy that wrote this, David Kep. He also wrote Jurassic Park, Mission Impossible, and The Lost World, which were the previous three records holder of number of the biggest opening weekend in America. Wow. Here are the actors that were almost the Green Goblin. Nick fucking Cage! Not surprised. John Malkovich. Mel Gibson was offered and turned it down. John Travolta. Brad Dorff. Robert De Niro, who was also almost Doc Ock. Billy Crudup was offered the part, but the studio thought he was too old. And Paxton, apparent Bill Paxton, who, if you remember, was almost JJJ, allegedly finished second in the role, second in the running for the role. Norman Osborn's condo was on the Warner Brothers production lot, where the production used to film a number of scenes. However, the condo set had also been used in Tim Burton's 1989 movie, Batman, and Sam Raimi had to make sure he shot it in such a way that no one would notice. Around a half an hour in the movie where Uncle Ben drops Peter Parker off to go to the library, there's a bus scene driving by with a promotional advertisement that reads, The Producers, which is a Mel Brooks stage musical. We all know what The Producers are, right? Fun fact, Mel Brooks later sued Sony Pictures Entertainment for unwanted advertisement in a motion picture. What the fuck? What the hell, I, I don't know. I, could, I couldn't find out anything more about it, but I could confirm it happened. All right, you guys ready for the directors that almost directed this movie? Well, we all know James Cameron. Yes, James Cameron. Chris Columbus rejected it in favor of Harry Potter. Tony Scott, David Fincher, Barry Sonnenfield, Jan DeBont, Michael Bay, Roland Emmerich, Ang Lee, and perhaps the most intriguing option of them all, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I want to imagine a plot twist where it's revealed Spider-Man had like, a, like seven dicks the whole time or something. Um, wow. However, Raimi ultimately got the directing's job because he was such a huge fan of the character. And finally, Ethan would kill me if I didn't bring this up. There wasn't enough money in the budget to execute Peter's dream sequence at the beginning of the movie when he first gets the powers the way it was scripted. So the entire segment was nearly scrapped. However, Bob Morosky, one of the two editors, pieced together the sequence together using shots from opening titles and stock footage from Sam Raimi's earlier film, Dark Man. And he used a single shot from Lucio Fulci's film, The Beyond. Yep. That's right, there is a shot of The Beyond in this movie. And it's incredible. But that is all I have for trivia. So guys, final thoughts, uh, Joe V, we'll start with you. You know, my, my, my final thoughts are gonna be simple. I'm just gonna end on a quote from one Alfred Yankovic. Sling us a web, you're the Spider-Man. Sling us a web tonight, cause we all sure could use us a hero now. And we think that you'll do all right. Hell yeah. All right, Rain, how about you? Uh, Macy Gray was a very nice and down-to-earth lady. Oh my god, <laughs> I swear to fucking Christ. It's probably Rain, the most dated thing about the movie. Tim, you go next. Movie groovy. Yeah! yeah! Austin, what say you? This was the original formula that took a Marvel movie to number one. And it was nice going back to formula. Everyone else has said it. It's a classic. It's an excellent uh, commentary on class within a superhero lens. 
It's a classic for a reason. The Upside Down Kiss is the most iconic kiss in the history of cinema. I love it to bits. It's an amazing movie for a reason. Now, before I do my outro, I want to plug something here real quick. Spider-Man Retold is a movie project that is currently in development where several filmmaking teams across the globe are repiecing Sam Raimi's Spider-Man piece by piece. And included in this excellent group of filmmaking crews is us. That's right. We are actually going to be recreating a scene from this movie for this picture. Mr. Peter Parker, will you please raise your hand? That would be me. Everyone give a round of applause to our own Peter Parker. I think he's going to knock it out of the park and we're lucky to have him. Thank you. I'm Peter Parker. I'm a photographer. But um, make sure you stay tuned for that. But you want to know what else is going to be recreated in 20 years by a group of fabulous filmmakers? Who? You! <laughs> the person watching slash listening to this podcast. If you are listening to this podcast on any of the audio platforms we're on, thank you oh so very much for listening. Go ahead and down and go below and uh, leave us a review. and It helps boost us in the algorithm. If you're watching this on Spotify video, I uh, hope you enjoy uh, our cursing, which I don't think we did a lot of this week. How about you go mosey on down to our Patreon and uh, help uh, make us money because I still have yet to figure out how to monetize the Spotify video. If you do it, we'll put you in the end cards as little credits. And finally, if you are watching this video on YouTube, thank you oh, 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 so very much for watching. Please go down to the comment section below and let me know. What do you remember of Sam Raimi Spider-Man as a cultural force? What's your favorite Raimi Spider-Man memory? What do you think of Sam Raimi Spider-Man? What's your favorite scene? And finally, um, if you got bitten by a radioactive spider, would you then be worried you'd kill your future wife with your radioactive semen? Oh Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so I can learn how to climb on walls and sneak into your home. Thank you again also very much for watching. Tune in next week because the Sam Raimi Marathon hasn't ended yet where we talk about Doctor Strange in the multi- of madness. This is going to be an awesome one. It's going to be a fun podcast, guys. You won't want to miss it. Joe and I are actually about to leave it to see, leave to see it. <laughs> yeah, uh, wrap this up so we can go. Bye. Just so you know, oh. I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I am the bomb squad. Bye.